A smart city is a city that's harnessing the power of data and technology to help deliver better solutions, better services, better outcomes for citizens and residents. Through a connected device or through a connected medium, uh, where we are able to influence our city operations uh, from trash collection to allocation of police forces to transportation, uh, as Gordon described, um, we try to use technology to do that. Uh, and it's once we get to the level of integrating data from all of these sources to make our operations more efficient uh, and to engage those citizens digitally uh, that we get to a smart city point. Hi, I'm Paul Miller and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group. And the Digital Workplace Group service that I'd like to mention today is DWG Membership. It's the confidential club that DWG has run since 2002 for the world's leading organizations. So that's people like Estee Lauder, IKEA, Coca-Cola, Adobe, ExxonMobil, EY, AT&T, and the list goes on. It's all highly confidential. You get to visit these organizations in person. Um, Some fantastic sessions we've got coming up this year to places like Facebook, Adobe, KPMG. But also we've had some incredible experiences over the years at places across Europe and North America. We also provide for members a fantastic digital workplace research program. Um, So you get to find out what's really going on with fantastic case studies. We've got also a program of online gatherings and interventions, and it's really what one member called a digital workplace concierge service. So you never have to feel alone again on your digital workplace journey. If you want some information about that, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash membership. And you can find our information, arrange a call, get a tour of our award-winning extranet. Come as a guest to one of our meetings and find out the prices of joining. So that's Digital Workplace Group membership. And now for today's show. I'm delighted to be joined on Digital Workplace Impact by two fascinating guests. Gordon Feller, who is the co-founder of an amazing organization called Meeting of the Minds. It's a global thought leadership network and knowledge sharing platform focused on the future of sustainable cities, innovation and technology. Gordon advises many organizations and startups, and he serves on the board of five different organizations, corporate organizations, four nonprofits, as well as one federal advisory committee for the U.S. Secretary of Energy. And from 2010 to 2016, Gordon was the director of urban innovation at Cisco Systems, headquartered in Silicon Valley, uh, where he served as an executive in an executive capacity within the company's program focused on cities. My other guest today is Bob Bennett. Bob became the chief innovation officer for the city of Kansas. Uh, Uh, in Missouri. Um, 
in January 2016 after a 25-year career in the U.S. Army. So we'll have to get into that, how you move from the U.S. Army to becoming a chief information officer in the city. He leads the Smart City Initiatives, a suite of projects including data analysis, public Wi-Fi, digital kiosk installation, smart lighting programs in the city's downtown core. And, and Kansas City's initiatives earned an Edison uh, Gold Award for, I love this words, collective disruption and civic innovation in 2017. And, and Bobby's currently uh, working on plans to extend the smart city infrastructure throughout 318 miles with an emphasis on digital inclusion. And my final bit of the intro is... And I found this out for myself. Kansas City sits on Missouri's western edge for our global audience. It's stra- this is from Wikipedia, straddles the borders with Kansas. It's known for its barbecue, jazz heritage and fountains. And downtown, the American Jazz Museum shares a building with the Negro League's baseball museum in the historic 18th and Vine Jazz District. The Nelson Atkins Museum of Art with giant shuttlecocks out front. This is just making me want to go to the city of Kansas and houses nearly 40,000 works of art from ancient to contemporary collections. So that very long intro is there to say thank you so much, Gordon, uh, to coming on the podcast today and, and Bob. It's great to be here. Thanks. Fantastic. It's great to have you here, Bob, and, and delighted to have you also Gordon and and can I can I start off Gordon um since you've spent so much um time thinking about this this concept of the smart city so so let's start off what is a smart city well it's a bit of uh, you know depends on where you're sitting kind of answer so if you're sitting as a taxpayer in a city which I guess we all are. Um, It looks different than if you're the chief innovation officer at Kansas City's City Hall where Bob sits or me in Silicon Valley as a a technology executive. But I'll start, you know, with the most broad definition, which is a, a smart city is a city that's harnessing the power of data and technology to help deliver better solutions, better services, better outcomes for citizens and residents. And that can be applicable in transport, in energy, in housing, in water, in healthcare, in education, you know, the whole gamut of, of services that get delivered in a city, maybe sometimes by the city and maybe sometimes not, the city government being only one actor on the stage. But I think that's the broadest definition that I would try to apply. And of course, the, the nuance looks different, as I said, depending on where you sit. Mm. And and um, Bob, uh, do you define smart city in a similar, different way? What's your take on that? Certainly, I would define it in a similar way. Um, I think you're going to find that Gordon and I are frequently in violent agreement. Uh, where I would focus a little bit differently is that uh, we see, uh, as a community, that 21st century citizens are connected people and they expect cities to interact with them in that connected manner. So where we can uh, move to a place where 
our water bills are paid through a connected device or through a connected medium, uh, where we are able to influence our city operations uh, from trash collection to allocation of police forces to transportation, uh, as Gordon described, we try to use technology to do that. Uh, and it's once we get to the level of integrating data from all of these sources to make our operations more efficient uh, and to engage those citizens digitally uh, that we get to a smart city point. So there's almost sort of two um, collaborative and uh, connected pieces of it. Because mm. it's, it's fascinating, I mean, because I suppose implicit in the term smart city is the sense that cities previously weren't smart. And, and in a way, that's kind of counter to what we really think, isn't it? Because, you know, if you go back to the, the, the Renaissance, you go back to Italy, go back to a city like Florence. I mean, in a way, the, the density of people and ideas. I mean, cities have always been almost like amplifying intelligence. But I suppose the, the part that you're um, referring to, Gordon, is, is this, this technology impact on the city. Well, and Bob, Bob, of course, uses the key word connected. Uh, smart mm. and unconnected is what we've had as cities have evolved over the last, you know, 8,000 years since the first cities emerged around the Tigris-Euphrates Valley. Those cities, you know, were not connecting people to each other as effectively as they could have, not connecting people to data that would help them for instance, navigate the city better. Uh, eventually, of course, those cities developed things like street signs and street names. It took thousands of years to get just to street signs and street names. Now we have the benefit in the search for, you know, hyper-connectivity that enables a lot of interesting things to happen. We have the benefit of digital tools. And so none of the smart connected city opportunities that we're talking about today would be possible without the digital revolution. And we haven't used that word yet, but obviously your organization, you know, is very focused on the ways in which digital transforms work and the nature of work becomes smarter. So too, it transforms what we do in the city, work, live, play, learn. All of those domains are changing because of the impact of the digital revolution. What is in common is that the data is not just being generated, but it's being accessed and used by someone, whether it's the bus driver to navigate the city or the, or the, uh, the, the, the commuter or the sanitation worker to find the trash can that really needs attention, because not every trash can in the city needs attention equally all the time. And what Bob is doing with his team is enabling these these objects to become connected and smarter and thus the city delivers better service because the trash can that's full gets more attention than the trash can that's empty. Mm, mm. And um, um, is the city of Kansas unique, unusual in, in, in the U.S. Um, in, in, in approaching this concept? Is it, is, it, is it that you've pushed in a particular direction um, and, and, and why was the city of Kansas so ready for this journey, Bob? A um, couple things. Number one, I don't think that we're completely unique. There are many cities in the United States right now where there is a, a movement toward 
smartification, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, I think that, uh, quite frankly, this movement almost began in London in 1854, uh, when Jon Snow was able to map a cholera outbreak in order to figure out how to better provide the uh, medical services uh, to the citizens of London. Uh, By virtue of the digital revolution, we're able to do that same thing now, just at a significantly increased rate of efficiency. Uh, When I look across uh, just the United States, I have colleagues in New York City uh, who are doing amazing jobs in distribution of Wi-Fi to the public uh, and helping us to ease digital divide concerns. Um, I look to the city of San Diego, who has built an amazing network of lights, uh, which are interconnected uh, and are significantly improving their sustainability uh, by virtue of normalizing uh, the rate of electricity that's used uh, on those light systems. Um, I look at a place like Louisville, Kentucky, uh, which is building uh, on those shoulders of John uh, Snow and what he did in London in the 1850s uh, and using digitalization uh, to improve public health. And certainly uh, where we see our role in this is uh, leveraging data across multiple systems and concentrating all of the assets into one concentrated space uh, from which we can learn what multi-departmental opportunities exist and uh, how to then expand them at the remaining 318 square miles of Kansas City. Mm. I'll add just one other dose of, of insight about what makes Kansas City unique because it's easier maybe for somebody who's objective that doesn't live there or work for the city to say this. They have really stood out because they have a visionary executive, the mayor. They have empowered, he and the city council have empowered a visionary executive, Bob Bennett, as the chief innovation officer. And there aren't that many cities that have chief innovation officers in the U.S. And what Bob has done, and the mayor has given him the, the power you know, and the blessing to do, is to cut across all the different departments and all the different domains to leave a, you know, a golden thread through all of that that is consistent so that it's not just a whole bunch of activities that are uh, operating under some generalized rubric called smart city. There really is a coherent vision for how you start in one place in the core and you grow from that and you test ideas and you're not necessarily doing this because they're fascinating, bright, shiny objects that we want to spend more time, um, you know, caressing. These technologies are there to accomplish very pragmatic, mundane kinds of outcomes like reduce costs, increase efficiency, connect city to citizen. Those kinds of things that are visionary goals are not necessarily always being kept front and center in the other cities that I talk to or work with. Mm. No, that's that, that's great. And, and, and Bob, are there particular... Uh, examples of of the smart city approach that you've taken that you feel most proud of and and what what would those be? Right now, I'm extremely happy with where we've gone in terms of crime. We uh, have developed an algorithm that uh, we're continuing to modify to where we get it just right for public release. Uh, But I'm happy enough now to understand not how crime is caused just from a police perspective. Uh, In so many cities uh, with whom I work, uh, they look, uh, the the discussion of crime comes up and everybody turns to the police officer or the police chief. Uh, Here in Kansas City now, we're actually looking across all 19 of our city departments and trying to understand uh, what is it that the Parks and Recreation Department can do? Uh, Is it 
my basketball leagues? Is it opening a pool? Is it opening uh, some other assets uh, so that kids can do something other uh, than have idle time to impact crime? What is it we can do from a public health perspective uh, where we can impact populations that would otherwise be vulnerable to crime or to participating in crime? And it transitions the entire mindset of the city government from looking uh, at that one event, which can have a massive impact uh, on our ability to attract folks to the barbecue that you mentioned or to the World War I Museum or to the, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and allows us to now say we're a safe city and smart cities are safe cities. Uh, we are a connected city and connected cities are smart cities. And everyone attacks the city's biggest problems uh, so that we can make ourselves available uh, to the public at large. Hmm. Now, that's fascinating because I, I, I didn't know what example you were going to come up with, but I did, certainly didn't expect that you, the first example you'd come up with would be crime. Um, but it absolutely makes sense. A smart city is connected to a sm- to the idea of a safe city, that, that crime is actually the result of when something breaks down, there's a crime. It's it's not when things are working that you have crime. So I, 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 I can understand that the way of starting to use that intelligence to inform that is is, um, is fascinating. And, and and why, Gordon, do you think this this idea of 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 smart has become so connected in a way with what our sort of modern sense of cities is? Is I was on a plane when I was in California. I was sitting next to somebody who was going to Mexico City, and he was telling me about things that are going on there. I've been talking to different people. Um, about what's happening in Nigeria and Kenya. And, you know, this this kind of the smart city concept seems to be so connected to what the modern city is about. Yeah, I think there may be two forces at work that are converging and thereby putting pressure on all of us to focus on smart cities wherever we might work. One of them is that because the planet is urbanizing and at the same time, and as so rapidly in the last 50 years, and at the same time faces, you know, an existential threat in climate change, there's a sense that cities are the best place, the living laboratory where we can solve, you know, big, hairy, complex problems like planetary extinction together because we are so densely connected to each other in the cities. And, uh, you know, it's all visible to us what the problems are because our, our cities are heating up and they're heating up faster than other parts of the planet. We happen as a species to be rushing into the cities in the last 50 years. That's helping to reduce our energy consumption, but it also is making it all visible to us in a way that wouldn't have been so visible if we had scattered and stayed scattered uh, in in our rural and agricultural uh, confines. So that's one force that's really pushing the urbanization combined with the ecological disaster. The other force that's pushing the smart cities revolution and the attention to it and the new investments that are flowing at it is this technology phenomenon where we're all able, you know, with our devices to access in real time, instantly, the things we need to do, whether it's watch the cat video or video conference call with with your mom. And the expectation is that that ease of use, the instantaneous ease of use, 
should be part of what the city services and systems are like. And there's, of course, this uh, cognitive dissonance because we know the city is slow, that transit solutions are slow to adapt to new, new realities, that, you know, we still collect trash pretty much the way we have done that for thousands of years. So the, the result of this cognitive dissonance is we know the technology is available. Why isn't it showing up faster in our cities? And that's pushing people to say, I want my city to work like my iPhone. Hmm. That's, it's, that's, that's fascinating. And, 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 you know, to, to what extent, and maybe you can talk to this, Bob, when you're thinking about smart, the smart city of Kansas, um, is it about touching all inhabitants or is this something that's just for the economically better off? And I know you're very uh, proactive on digital inclusion. For us, um, it, it is all about reaching out and touching every single uh, citizen or visitor, because uh, as Gordon very uh, eloquently stated, uh, connected citizens expect to be able to interact with their city, uh, whether it's as a uh, member of a convention uh, that is attending for a very short period of time, or whether you're uh, someone who lives on the wrong side of the tracks. But um, you know, needs to be able to apply for a job or to take care of the or to take advantage of the opportunities um, that a digital economy uh, presents to you. Uh, and to that end, uh, we are focusing the expansion of our smart city efforts to that uh, underrepresented uh, and frequently underestimated. Uh, an underappreciated talent base, which exists in our neighborhoods with the lower incomes, with the uh, greater challenges in terms of mobility. Um, I'd submit to you there's really only three ways to actually do a smart city, um, and that is to either ride on the electrical network where every citizen and every visitor is going to touch it during the course of a day through your water network for similar reasons uh, or through a transportation network because those are the three means uh, by which you're going to be able to interact with everyone uh, in a community. And um, just completely flipping about, because I've got to ask you this. So you're, you're the chief innovation officer. I imagine that title is unusual. And, and what motivated you to leave a 25-year career in the U.S. Army and do something completely different like that? Oh, I wouldn't say it's completely different. Okay. Um, in fact, I'd submit to you that there are a great number uh, of similarities. Uh, for the last uh, several years of my Army career, um, I had the great opportunity to serve as a strategic planner um, on several uh, general staffs. And what the Army learned um, the hard way in Iraq uh, and in Bosnia and several other locations was that many of the problems to which an Army is assigned to solve, uh, a military solution is not sufficient for long-term stability. And so you had to interact with a State Department, with the U.S. Agency for International Development, uh, with allies, uh, with uh, evolving states, and with uh, existing partnerships that we've had um, with international organizations like the U.N. Uh, in a similar manner, uh, a smart city requires that a city government uh, interact very closely with industry uh, leaders like Cisco, like Sprint, like uh, smaller companies uh, along the lines of Exact, which is our data analysis company. Uh, smart city media provides our kiosks. 
uh, we have to work very closely with interest groups uh, who represent uh, or underappreciated uh, sections of our populace that work with the job-finding institutions, work with our academic institutions uh, to build the teams uh, that will work in this digitalized economy. So uh, in that way, uh, finding a way to make multiple stakeholders uh, both clearly articulate and then um, attack collectively uh, the goals that we share through whatever means each of us has available to us um, is quite similar. And uh, the other fun thing is when you look at a city government and you look at the nonprofits and you look at many of the corporate partners that we have, the public sort of uh, focus that they have and the dedication to the betterment of people as a whole um, is quite similar in terms of outlook with many of the young soldiers uh, that I met who volunteered to serve their country. So uh, it's the same group of people just wearing a different uniform. Fascinating. And you've now completely explained. And as you're answering the question, I'm thinking, of course, you know, when you start to talk what you're, about what you're actually doing in the army and, and the sort of work that the army does, it then I immediately started to kind of see it. So thank you. Thanks uh, so much for, for that. And, and Gordon, if we're thinking about work and, and, and smart cities, how is this evolving sense of what the city is and this connected city, the safe city, the smart city, how does that affect how work happens in cities? Because cities have always been a place that people come to for work. Yeah, and of course, a lot of cities are grappling with this now, uh, not just because the smart city initiatives are being you know, designed and organized and financed by workers, whether they're working in a bank or working in city hall or working in a, you know, anchor institution, uh, whether it's a university or a hospital, the eds or the meds. So those workers are obviously thinking about the city as the place they work. And that's going to change the way that they think about smart city initiatives. So I'll give you, you know, an illustration of this. We started with a project in the city of Spokane, Washington, a project called Urbanova, uh, which has its mission to address the challenges that the city faces using smart city technology to help address those challenges. And the first one was public health oriented because they have an air quality challenge as a result of fires that happen in various uh, months of the year in the, in the surrounding forest lands of the Pacific Northwest. So they, you know, deployed sensor networks and and captured the data, analyzed the data, presented in real time to citizens and residents as well as to visitors. But now they're realizing that the the workers in the city and the employers that uh, that employ those workers want to know this information, not just real time, like should I be out jogging on the street when there's a smoke issue that I might not see with my eyes, but can, can I potentially use this information to help attract uh, employees who might think that this is a city that always has a problem when it's only 35 days out of the year? And can I, as a, as a workplace, change the way that I use this information to make the work experience in my workplace smarter, as in real-time information accessible to me? So usually when the digital workplace conversation is happening, you know, in the forums that you organize, it's usually about how the technology can be used in the workplace to make the process of working 
better and faster and cheaper and smarter uh, and, you know, connect uh, work teams and to their customers or to each other better and faster and cheaper and smarter. Here, what's happening in a smart city environment like Spokane is the information throughout the city is now being used by the employer in a new way that they didn't necessarily have access to before. They might have tried, but it's very hard for them to get their own air quality data. Now they have the ability to sense the city, access that information through those sensor networks that they don't necessarily own, the employer might not own, but the employer wants to deliver this information to their customers, to their employees, and that might change the way that they work. It might be, for instance, that when there's an air quality problem day, that that's a day when the employer says, don't bother coming to work, work from home. We want to reduce the amount of commuting that goes on during that day. So I'm not just a healthier city, I'm a smart city that's enabling a healthier behavior. So that's the kind of change that's happening between the employer and the city that surrounds the employees, which is going to affect the quality of the work experience, the quality of the work outcome. Um, So I'm not thinking smart city in the context of a smarter building delivers a better work experience, which is all good, and I want that. But I'm thinking of the whole city as a system and how the employee and their employer can access that information to transform the work itself. Mm. No, it's it's kind of fascinating because really, you know, you could be thinking of the city as a sort of organism in a way um, where there's so many different aspects. And I, I think there are some fascinating things um, coming out in cities. It's a bit like your example, Bob, of um, your own experience in the U.S. Army then being so relevant to the work you're doing now. Um, but, you know, when, when, when a disaster happens in a city, you know, we had an awful fire in, in, in London um, a few months ago. You probably heard about it, a whole bunch of... Uh, it, was, it was really a disaster. But what's interesting is the way that the, the community around it, rather than the city authority, actually mobilise very, very rapidly to provide a support system. They then tap into the available technology. In a way, they create a sort of smart response unit. And and there are different examples, you know, often, unfortunately, kind of born out from tragedy or emergency, where where this sort of sense of the city as, a, as a, an organism comes out. One of the things I was sort of thinking about is that I, I used to live in a city, I don't anymore, but is there a, a, a similar concept of the smart rural, the smart countryside, or is this um, smartness just a city kind of preserve, or is there some other aspect to it for communities that are less uh, dense in a way? There is certainly a place for rural communities and for um, citizens in less densely populated locations uh, to be a part of a smarter community and to be a part of a connected community. Um, in many ways, in fact, I think the opportunity is greatest there because uh, you're not reliant upon a single meeting point like a grocery store or a church or a community center uh, for interaction to take place, but it can 
can take place virtually, and you can leverage uh, the opportunity to talk to folks 10, 15 miles away uh, and focus efforts when required, um, as you described in the case of a tragedy or in the case of um, here in Kansas City in 2015. uh, We had 800,000 people uh, right next to our large train station uh, to greet the Kansas City Royals uh, when they won um, our baseball uh, competition's national uh, championship. Uh, there's only 400,000 Kansas Cityans. So there's other 400,000 people came from someplace. And it was nice. those digital connections which uh, led folks to train station uh, to participate in that event. I know one of the things that uh, between Cisco and uh, other partners – Uh, we've been able to figure out is how do we share data across these communities and how do we um, integrate the ability of long-haul fiber to work effectively through the uh, routers and the networks and everything else that um, we have available to us here in Kansas City uh, to then link other communities with Kansas City serving as the hub uh, and then the spokes going out to all of our um, external communities we have in our metro area. There's 2.2 million people who live in the metro, and as you accurately described uh, in your introduction, um, half of them live in the state of Kansas. Uh, But we are a part of one larger community, and it is that connectivity. It is that smartness of all these communities that bring us closer together. And if we can use data and if we can use technologies uh, to improve uh, those connections, much of the future that Gordon described as communities that uh, are linked one to the other uh, and share things like air quality data or uh, economic opportunity data grow uh, concurrently. I'll add one other piece to the rural dimension, which is about what uh, some scientists call the urban-rural interchange, which is the flows back and forth. And I'm particularly concerned you know, as a city resident, uh, that the water energy nexus be tightly, what would I say, strengthened, right? So most cities depend on the rural for uh, water and energy production and food. Um, And that triangle, water, energy, food, doesn't happen as easily in an urban environment as it does in a rural environment. We don't have, with our you know, impervious surfaces, the ability to capture as much water as the rural can when rain occurs. Thus, we don't have the ability mm. to produce as much as we would unless we really quickly got busy with vertical farming. But we'd still have to energize that, and we'd still have to provide water. So that technology is being developed, and there are vertical farm companies now developing you know, the urban ag solutions, but that's going to take quite a bit of time while we still have to feed, you know, eight, eight, almost 8 billion people about to become 10 billion people. And so my, my hope is, of course, that the smart city solutions that become successful for cities will get translated into the rural environment, like Internet of Things connected farming will enable more efficient use of energy and water inputs to produce better and, and, and more healthy vegetables and fruits. That kind of scenario, I know AT&T is very actively working with farmers and ranchers to help them think through and design Internet of Things systems that will allow them to stay very well informed about, for instance, the moisture that they need to produce the kinds of crops or meat products that are going to feed us city dwellers. Because 
frankly, every city dweller needs to be thinking about the success of the rural. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I, I think one of the fascinating areas where, you know, when we think of smart cities, we tend to think of the developed world. But if you're looking at the sort of uh, the overall, in a way, smart nations it's 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 coming as uh, as as particularly in in africa in the developing world where it feels to me like quite a a lot of the uh, emphasis is 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 on the is connecting the rural part of society and what's fascinating is when you think about it you know as soon as people get given a a mobile connection um, which is now ubiquitous in Africa, and you can get online. You can get online and tap into an unprecedented amount of global education and learning. And so you've then got, uh, whether it's in Africa or India, you've got these very high levels of education starting to take place with children who can tap into, from wherever they are, into uh, you know, phenomenal teaching. And and I think it's going to be really fascinating to see where that impacts in those um, outside of the cities um, in in Africa, particularly. So one thing that I'm, I wanted to ask each of you was, you know, so if you're an eight year old today in, let's say, Munich, and and you're thinking about the smart Munich of the future, what 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 can the eight year old today expect when they're in that city and say? Um, when they're 28, what what what's what is the smart city going to bring to them, or is it so far away it's just impossible to to predict? Well, Bob, you want to go first in your sure. imagination of when you're an old man. <laughs> well, uh, actually, it's, it's it's fun. I actually have a uh, I, I have a nine year old at home, so uh, right. these are the types of discussions that we have uh, in my in, in my home. And uh, one of the things uh, that I think will mark um, that twenty year mark is there won't be such a thing as smart cities. Uh, everything that we're discussing now uh, as a concept will not be unique or interesting or special. The uh, folks who will populate those cities, contribute most to that economy, will expect that their cities are connected. They would anticipate just by by nature, uh, the city will talk to you in terms of what is happening culturally, what activities are going on, um, what is happening that is related to your interests based on the data that you have on your telephone uh, and based on the itinerary that uh, are associated with your visit or with your conference attendance or whatever else it is. And they expect that the city will reach out to them because connectivity for my nine-year-old is assumed. And the idea of artificial intelligence driving relationships and driving interactions with the environment is to him a presumption and not unique or special or interesting. Uh, And cities that fail uh, to adopt and bring on board smart technologies, artificial intelligence, sensors, and the ability to interact with those citizens will be the cities that form the digital version of the Rust Belt uh, that I grew up in uh, in the northern part of the United States in the 1970s. And uh, certainly, uh, I'm personally dedicated to making sure that doesn't happen in my community. And uh, I'm thankful for guys like Gordon, uh, companies like Cisco, companies like Sprint, who are focused on connectivity, not on internet service provision and not on telephones, to build that future. 
I'll, I'll only add one piece to that very helpful picture of the future, which is about the connection between people. So, you know, we talk about people being connected to data, people being connected to things, people being connected to a process like I'm getting to park in a new way because of the smart city, but it's the people to people connections that probably will be the ones that show up as enhanced in ways that we can't measure the value because it's more qualitative than the quantitative. Uh, but knowing your neighbors, knowing what your neighbor needs, knowing when your neighbor needs that help and knowing that you have the tools available, not just to be aware of neighbors needs uh, or the community's desire to see something happen, but having a whole bunch of tools in the city available to make it relatively easy. Once the impulse to connect and the impulse to work together is there, we have a lot of friction in the world to you know, get together with our neighbors, to find a, a convenient schedule, a convenient location, to do all those things. And uh, my, my hope is, you know, when that eight-year-old decides that it's time to connect up about plans for Christmas on our street and getting the kids in our neighborhood to do a project together to help kids in other neighborhoods, you know, that that becomes very friction-free because the ultimate purpose of all of this is to strengthen the community connections. And that's where the social development shows up in a way that maybe is different from the economic development, different from the technology development. Uh, we're, we're actually creating an outcome which is about the quality of people's lives together. And that, that's what the strength of the city is going to be manifesting, right? More than the gross GDP of the city which can be enormous, you still can have a shortage of social capital. Absolutely. I mean, and it just strikes me, and I was, um, you know, arrived back in London um, and, you know, spent uh, the last day there. And, and people always say this, don't they? They just talk about the buzz, you know, that there's something almost irrespective of what age you are, you know, that that that, that comes to you like a kind of, energy that it, it creates and I, I think that's a uh, I love what you've both referred to which is you know the smart city can sound like a sort of technological application into the city but actually what it is is about enhancing the social communal the human aspects of the city because that's what really brings people there and will keep people there and 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 produces and energizes us so uh, thank you so much. We've uh, unfortunately run out of time, but it's been such a pleasure talking to you both and, and getting both of your different perspectives on things. Um, so, Gordon, thank you so much for your contributions and, and also for all the fantastic work that you're doing, because I think it's really creating a, a better experience for people in cities. And, and also, Bob, I, I think it's fascinating to hear from somebody on the ground in what I'm sure is the beautiful city of Kansas. So um, thank you both so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We look forward to more discussion on all of this. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Digital Workplace Impact, produced by the Digital Workplace Group. 
And if you're intrigued about membership of the Digital Workplace Group, then go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash membership. You can get lots of information, arrange a demo or call, have a tour of our confidential extranet, come as a guest to one of our online or offline meetings, find out what it costs to get involved in this, and you can be part of a confidential club that really drives forward the world's best digital workplaces. People like KPMG, EY, Estee Lauder, AT&T, Adobe, Ikea... The list is incredible of the organisations that we have in DWG membership. And it would be great to hear about you and see whether the membership would work for you and vice versa. Thank you. I'm Paul Miller. Looking forward to connecting with you again at the next episode of Digital Workplace Impact. Until then.